So let's start. Um, we will start the, the first go round. Just share your feelings about the process. Um, in fact, there's another idea. We can actually start with just what I think, uh, I think you were saying about uh, we can actually. How many people would like to have a short discussion about the process itself and your feelings about that? Okay, so what we'll start, we'll go around once. You can share your feelings about it. Then if anyone wants to respond to what anyone else has said, we'll do that for the first time. Okay, so we'll start over here. Well, I'm curious. I've never done this before. Okay, very good. Linda? Um, yeah. I feel the same way, um, but I'm very intrigued on um, what, how it's going to turn out because I think it is something that I'd like to use in my classes that I teach. I'm very excited. I couldn't wait to come tonight to, <laughs> to um, participate in this kind of communication. Very good. Jane, right? Jane, I'm interested. I As soon as I started reading the packet, I, would, I was thinking about doing this with my department because we're having, we don't have time to just sit down and talk about our philosophies of curriculum, and that's what we're, we're struggling with right now, trying to differentiate between regular and honors classes. And I think if we just got in a circle and talked about it and knew everybody's opinions, it would really help us get where we want to go. Good, great. I agree with Linda. I'm really excited about this idea of thinking I can take it to my classroom. Uh, we sit in circles, so I'm really comfortable right now. This is how we sit in my classroom. <laughs> teacher but sometimes some people's voices dominate the conversation I like this because everyone has a chance to speak. Carol. Yeah Craig really um, hit on what I'm thinking you know I'm very interested because so many times I've seen discussions and some people you hear from a lot and some people you don't hear from at all because for one, some reason they don't jump in and it does, I, I know it doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say so this seems like it gives everybody more voice, so I'm excited about it. Christine? I, I think that's a good point, and honestly, I'm just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy? Um, I guess I'm just a little confused, because I didn't get the packet, so I don't really know anything about this whole process, so I'm very interested to find out what's going on, but I'm really not sure what I'm doing. Don't worry, if you don't have the packet, don't worry. I have it now, so okay. I'm going to be prepared next time. <laughs> I agree with her because I couldn't download it when I was at home when I got it mm -hmm. yesterday, so I had to wait until I got to school today well, all day long. <laughs> so I haven't had a chance to read through it. I am, I guess I'm more confused than anything, and I, I kind of see, want to see how it plays out. Okay. It's not something at this time in my teaching career I'd be using as a reading teacher, mm -hmm. um, but maybe maybe some other later on down the line. Uh, I guess I feel everything, but quite honestly, it's just another exposure that I have to the style of learning, and then it's something that you know I'm finding a way in my um, in my little portfolio of strategies because this is something that can be used to discuss literature at a further date. So I'm really interested. Good, Sue. Um, the piece of this that really caught my eye and, and holds high interest for me is the process of transformation within dialogic circles. And I, as I was reading this, I just thought of all the different areas that it could really apply. I'm in a women's book discussion group and within our faculty meetings and within my own classroom. So that's the piece that I'm really interested in. Okay. 
needed to answer the question of cares. You know, why do we care? And and I basically boiled it down to the idea that humans really want a better life. That's just kind of a natural instinct, and knowledge is a part of that. And so in thinking further, I decided that that unless you have your basic needs, according to Maslow, uh, satisfied, that you can't live a better life, that there's a certain process you need to go through. And so I could go through the whole logic, but in short, I think that knowledge that is worthwhile is in the eye of the beholder, uh, not unlike beauty. That it depends on where you're at, what your goals are, and what your gifts are, as to what knowledge is of most worth to you. So as educators, I see our goal as providing a balance and a variety, and maybe a little bit from the whole entire spectrum, a little bit of the perennialism, but also a little bit of reconstructionism to incorporate a, a moderation of all of the philosophies. All right, very good. Anyone, would anyone like to respond to what Tracy had to say? Christine? My, my thoughts were on a really similar path, so now I'm excited to share mine. <laughs> I, I kind of took that same approach, boiling it down to a basic human need. Anyone else would like to respond? Now, when you respond to someone, you could agree with them, you could disagree with them, civil, of course. <laughs> so, you could agree with them, you could disagree with them, you could also ask for clarification if you're not sure about what the person said, or you could ask them uh, to elaborate. So, you could do any of those things as well. So, we just keep that in mind. Okay, so next. Okay. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about um, when I think about this question is the learner themselves. And uh, so often in education, we isolate learning to um, simply academics. And I really think that we need to approach the whole person, no matter what age they are, and take into consideration social, emotional, um, was the cognitive and physical as well. And so that's one thing that I wanted to be sure to mention. And also uh, create learning com communities, which um, the first time I heard that term was from Michael Fawn and doing some reading. Um, and I have seen that happen in a school that I worked at where they really created a learning community. Um, and oh, I, I can't remember which chapter it was in our book, but um, there's a certain philosophy where they believe that humans are lifelong learners. And before I read that in this class, I thought it was just me <laughs> and, and, um, and being in an academic setting that I thought it. I just thought that that I was one a unique person believing on lifelong learners, whereas um, what I read, I can't remember where that was from, but um, that, that 
that's a whole philosophy that humans are lifelong learners. And so I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. And um, tied into that is, um, I think, thinking about thinking metacognition is very important. And um, I'm, I get very excited about the recent brain research and what we have learned about rather than a teacher. That the teacher is there to learn as well. And so everyone is investigating and trying to find out more information. And that's all levels of the education, from the school board to the janitor, that everybody's out to learn. And that's one of the big ideas. Thank you. OK, next. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I would agree with you on the learning communities. I think that, I agree, should agree with both of you, that we are lifelong learners. You know, we pick up knowledge all along the way. But the difference, I think, in kids is that they are looking for the knowledge that is most worth to them at that time. <laughs> I mean, I mean what, what we think they should know. And I think that we eventually turn them off to learning to be open to learning and knowledge because of how it's structured. And I think it needs to be more of a, a learning community and everyone needs to be um, actively learning um, versus how it is now. Um, I, when I took, I can't remember what class it was, but we had to learn about some adult learning theories and the difference between the adult learner and um, a student learner. But when I was reading the information about the adult learners, I'm like, I would say the same thing about a child. They need to see the worth that needs to pertain to right. them. Um, and so I took that as, why don't we teach kids that way too? Mm -hmm. It's more valuable to them, their immediate needs. So, and so sometimes, sometimes I will actually just say shout out, just let people know that they've already been recognized. So I'll say Christine, and then I saw Mina had her hand up, and then. No, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> it happens sometimes too. If I ever miss anyone, as you helped me out a second ago, please point out if I miss hand up. Okay, so Christine. So is I'm picking up on different things. I feel like I'm picking up on different things as I'm listening to the comments. Is the learning community really about what knowledge is most worth, or what's the most valuable way to approach learning? And maybe they can't really be separated either. Right, I would say both. I'd say it would have to include both. Mina, do you have a comment? Yeah, Paulo, uh, he's uh, learning from the community. I will pick up more detail because I list what words to learn. This uh, one of my list is uh, popular culture, actually, is from the community. For my opinion, I think agriculture is kind of involved in the community. And learning from the community or learning from the detailed public culture, I think, can, you know, um, 
for for children or for people to engage in a material material condition or political structure in the society. So it helps them to really uh, connect themselves to the world they live and maybe in the future uh, actually they can change the society. So for my opinion, I mean the learning from the community list of other details <coughs> public culture. Very good. Any other responses? Okay, then we'll move on and then if you are next. Okay. Um, because I'm a special educator, um, I struggle with this question often, what knowledge is of most worth as I'm sitting with a student and I'm thinking to myself, why am I teaching this, or why am I trying to, you know, cram this down his throat? And I know why. It's because of ISAT. It's because it's required. It's because of the report card. It's because of the teacher. It's you know a lot of the things. Um, so I really struggled with this question. I really wanted to get um, down to. Um, I, I really wanted to. That's why I was excited to come tonight, because I really wanted to investigate this. And um, I'm just going to read what I wrote. Um, I think knowledge that stirs a desire to learn more is of most worth. Um, knowledge of most worth is that which motivates one to continue learning, because it will give the person intellectual fulfillment an understanding of one's own mind or self, or increases the quality of survival. Kind of like what Tracy was saying. Um, knowledge of a tiger's instinctual behaviors is worth knowing to a tribesman in defense of his own survival. Um, at first I was thinking of knowledge in the classroom, but knowledge is everywhere and global, and um, as Tracy was saying too, it's just a part of us. Knowledge of what ants do when they go underground is of most worth to an inquisitive four-year-old and future social scientist. Um, knowledge of trigonometry is of most worth to an aspiring preteen and future astronaut. And like you were saying, um, knowledge of most worth is meaningful and purposeful, individual and even intimate. Any responses to Deb? She said. Yes, Jen. I, I liked your statement about it stirring a desire to learn more. I just still wonder, if I thought of this question as how to plan the, the curriculum with what knowledge is most worth. So if it's different for everybody, how do you do that? I don't expect you to answer this question, but you had mentioned how it's more independent. So I think that's what I, I don't know how you would get started with, even if you knew the answer. I'd like to respond. Um, I struggled with that as well, um, but then that also comes down to differentiated instruction. Um, the kids aren't going to hear it anyway if it's not making a connection. Or they might just learn it for that test and then it's gone. So is that knowledge or is that memory skills? So I think the knowledge, you know, who you are, you know, when I was a kid, I paid attention to my art teacher because that was my connection. That was something that I had in me. I didn't pay attention to the math teacher. <laughs> 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 um, 
but so that knowledge is most worth to me and created a desire in me to open up other doors of academics. But yeah, as far as curriculum, I, I see what you're saying. I was thinking that, that I think in our society right now, we really don't have a choice of what knowledge we have to impart. Do you want to say something? Yeah, I'd like to address that. I, I believe that when we get to actual curriculum planning, that our knowledge as teachers of our subject area gives us some guidance on basic information that we know is a starting point for learning in our discipline. I don't think that it's necessary for the government to dictate to us all the stuff that we need to cram down their throats but I think as educators, we should have the freedom to put together a menu, so to speak, and say, well, if you're going to learn about the American Revolution, you kind of need to know who's involved. But there's some basic things that, that we could start with. And then there's other stuff that could be optional. The young lady who's interested in fashion wants to look at Puritan clothing and can examine that from a multiple, uh, multiple ways, uh, facets. Even if you're interested in science, you could look at indigo dyeing. And, you know, I see learning as being an interdisciplinary sport, so to speak. You can't just sit there. You have to be involved in it. And it, life is integrated. Life is interdisciplinary. Why? What we've done to, to make it uh, I think Tony said something about it. by the time we get them, they, they hate yeah, learning. They hate learning. Because we've taken it all apart instead of keeping it all together and making it fun and exciting and, and connected. And we've made it irrelevant. And so that's their question to us. Why is this relevant? Why are we doing this? OK. Tony. Tony and then James. Oh, I'm sorry. And then Jennifer. Oh, okay, I know I'm mistaking <laughs> stretches and stuff. Tell I just me. had a comment, uh, or actually a question. In the same area, how do we reach those kids that have shut off? You know, if they're not interested in the Revolutionary War or science or uh, math, how do we reach them? Do we, how, do we, how do we teach them, the ones that we're losing? Do I no, I'm just, that's okay. just a question. <laughs> I was I'm just going that's to what you so you, that's just a general just question. Just a question. Just a general question. Okay, so, so now here's here's what we can do next. So, Jane is next. But if anyone wants to respond to Tony's sort of query to the group, you can do that as well. After Jane goes. Um, I was just struggling when when you were speaking, Tracy, of that taking the fun out of it, and I just had this picture in my head of when school started be, not being as much fun, and it just I. There's one teacher, and there was a 32 kids in the class. That's why she's trying to keep 32 people on task learning, and I just is not settling with me because when you were talking about the differentiation that's coming through in our district right now, but we're also getting two kids more class next year. So it's like I want to make it fun and exciting for different kids who like to do different things, and. I, but at the same time, I have all these kids to get to, and there's one of me, and we only have 50 minutes, and boom, we're on to the next next set of kids coming in. So 
that's what I was going, gosh, if there was five of me at one time, this would be, I could go over here with these guys and do this, go over there and do that. And so, and then, yes. I have a response to both. Okay. <laughs> um, about getting them back interested. I think we have to do really innovative things, things that are outside the paradigm that we've been creating, whether it's taking a movie uh, or, or even like Orange County shop, Choppers, you know, to, to, for them to go, oh, what is this doing in my classroom? You know, some sort of backdoor way of, of getting their interest in and, and pulling them back in. And in the same regard with, with increasing class sizes, um,
it doesn't make any difference in the sense that if you've got intimacy with your learning community, and it's, it's this atmosphere that we create as teachers or facilitators or the person that knows how to get it, everything going the right way. And the kids then come in to that environment and then you get back to Maslow if they feel safe, if they feel secure, if they know they aren't going to be bullied, if they know that there won't be sarcasm in that classroom, if they know that no one will make fun of them, then, then learning can be fun. And once you model that, it's infectious. And provide those activities, you know, happen. But it's, is there a formula to reach that intimacy? And just as knowledge is, is in the eye of the beholder, is that learning, creating that learning community really dependent on our own individual gifts and personalities? So maybe there isn't a way we can, a formula we can say for doing it. Yeah, and I was being sarcastic. I don't think there is a formula. I don't think there is a formula. I think it's our, you know, as our school culture changes, as it does, our profession is all about change, it is, back to the transformation. It's a continual transformation. But I agree with you. It, it can be done. Tony, I think you were your answer. I want to comment. I was agreeing with what, what we were saying about this. When you were talking about, um, I was agreeing, sorry, I agree with, with what you said, but also the comment about what you said about having it two more kids in your class and having such a large class to be able to, I was thinking small group and then taking off of what you said within those small groups um, and what you had said earlier last week about how you collect the information for your kids of what they want to learn on that same subject and okay, who would like to learn about this? One small group. It's in the same realm but just in, in taking it one step further out. Now, I can't remember what you teach foreign languages. So okay, it may or may not work for that specific, it may have to be in a like, creative writing. How would you like to approach this? You know what I mean, in that kind of a brain. So they all, it, they all learn from each other, but yet they study what they like to, to, to learn about versus all learning up there and you're lecturing on one specific thing or whatever, because I, I teach elementary, so it's completely different. But drawing them in more to what they want to, to get out of that class or to get out of that subject or whatever. That's what I was thinking about what you said, what you said. I don't know if it makes any sense, but I have it in my head. I'm trying to trying to arrange it so I can get it out here so it makes sense, you know. Okay, so I think, I think Carol and then Mina and then Deb. Okay, so Carol. Okay. Another reading I had for another class, just a very short thing on what Sue and Tracy were talking about, brought up the fact that teaching is as much emotion about the emotion as about the intellect. And you know, I think about it, and, and most of us, if we've been as many years as each of us have in education, probably, I'm guessing, you know, it comes kind of natural to us. You know, emotionally, we're drawn to doing that, you know, um, and, and so it was just a side comment on that. Emotion and intellect, both are our jobs, parts of what we're doing. Very good. Nina, you're next. In response to, uh, she just mentioned the intimacy, how to build, how to develop intimacy with your learners. Once your learners have so diverse, so some, some learners even don't know how to express themselves or how to voice their need or their 
their thinking. So in my knowledge course, course learning, the first one I kind of draw out from Henry Groves. She he mentioned about multiple literacy. I think this is kind of important to allow your learner to help your learners build up their voice to give them the tools or the means how to express themselves, how to speak out their thinking. Then we can start to build to develop the so-called intimacy. So I think the, my first knowledge at least uh, multiple literacy and given the, the tool to to communicate, to speak out their thinking and to explain the society to yeah to speak out what they observe from their everyday life. within the person and it's the learning is more like from the heart type thing like we can provide wonderful lessons and all this interactive hands-on stuff and try to gear but I feel the intimate part is if it if it doesn't make that personal connection you know like when you learn something you're like oh yeah come it starts in here I think it doesn't come in it starts here there's that connection somehow. I mean, the teacher, of course, aids it, but it has to make it available. But like this tribesman isn't saying, oh, I'm learning how the tiger, you know, survives. He's not saying that. It's, it's inside. It's part of who he is to, to pay attention to that. Any responses? Three times each person incorporates some, some vocab 
and they learned more in that 10 minutes than they did the whole rest of the time just because I put it on them and, and, I'm, and I'm like, oh, that's all it takes is make it a little bit more realistic and they seem to appreciate that I, I took their feedback very seriously. We really want to speak Spanish, but this work is not really helping me get there. So that was in the nutshell that I was thinking. I, my goodness, what you just said, it just hit the nail on for me because the transference is so key for me right now because there are programs out there in reading and literacy where people come and say, oh, let's do the SRA. I don't know if you've heard about that. It's a program. I really don't like it. Basically, it's a text with questions, text with questions. They go up these levels and everything like that. And I'm like, where's the scientific proof that this has any transference to any kind of text that they read? And every time I come to one of these meetings where a private tutor says, this is what we're doing, and they're just going up from kindergarten level all the way up to the fifth grade level. They're now able to read in seventh grade level. And I'm like, I'm not seeing it. In the classroom, I am not seeing it with me. They have no transference whatsoever, and they have to be able to transfer, it, especially literacy, reading one text to another, being able to interpret that information. So when you said that, it was just like, oh my goodness, you're right. I mean, what is knowledge worth if not being able to transfer from one to another? Any other comments? Um, that the transference is a big thing for me without giving away all my goodies. <laughs> um, I, um, let's see, yesterday or Monday, we had, I had a fourth grade teacher come to me saying that they were, she was worried about the ISAD that the kids took last week because this, um, fourth grade science was really hard and they haven't covered that topic since second grade. And I think it was like energy. And I felt defeated in a bit because really essentially it is kind of a reading test. And if we've taught our kids, if we've given them those tools to be able to read and think critically, then it really doesn't matter what text or whatever they, they approach. They're able, they have the tools of learning and of acquiring knowledge. Um, so it, to me, when we're thinking about curriculum, it's not so much like a specific subject or specific, um, I mean, a specific of anything. It's really just being able to say, now you have the backpack that you need to go ahead and, and acquire the knowledge on your own. Because if, if we don't give them that, then you, learning truly does end at 3.30 at the end of the day. And learning would end you know, in June. And that's why we're seeing a gap from June to August, like we were in school last year. And, you know, and, and when it comes to those ISAT tests and whatever, we're given a textbook and they say cover it, you know, if they want me to cover it, then I'll sit on it. It's, that's not the point. The point is, <coughs> is giving them the knowledge so that whatever comes after them, they can tackle it. Okay, I'm going to kind of ask the same question again. I can see how um, that is beneficial to those students who want to learn that. But if everybody's required to take a language and they never use it, even if it's practical in class, is that still knowledge that's most, most worth to them, even though you were kind of commenting that it's the tools they're learning from that they might be able to take into other areas. But anyway. For, for me, what I, because we're starting to get a lot of um, inclusion now in foreign language, not it's not a requirement in our district, but because most colleges require it. So we're getting every, we're getting all our, our clientele is pretty much everybody. And I, I think, the kids learn a lot, and they might not know it grammatically, 
from a foreign language about their own language because I'm mm -hmm. teaching them. They don't know what an indirect and a direct object are in English. So I'm teaching them in Spanish and I think they can transfer that back to their English. And I think their reading improves in English because people, their English teachers assume they've learned how to read and I have to go back and say, okay, look at the title. Let's look at the picture. Let's make some inferences. And I think that they train, oh yeah, I should probably read the title. So I'm happy that even if they're just there to get their credit, that maybe I'm teaching some, going back to some of those basic skills that they can take back to when they're reading their other textbooks. I agree with you. I mean, I learned more English from my French class than I did in any English class because you're right, when you get into high school, all you do is read literature and that's it. Um, no parts of speech, nothing. I didn't even understand what an imperative was until I took a foreign language. So I totally agree with you that even though um, I'm sure it's difficult for you to have included students in there because the knowledge is not, um, I'm not saying beneficial for them, but it, it won't continue on to get into college, but it will be beneficial in that sense. So I think that's really cool. Any responses? Okay, then we'll move on to Craig. Thanks. Okay. Uh, when thinking about what knowledge is of the most worth, um, I came up with three things that I think are most worthwhile, three most important things that students know before as they graduate from the world, or just people in general, three most important things for people to know. And, uh, and uh, staying with the three R's, I said we should go step beyond the three R's, so I'm with the three S's. Okay. <laughs> uh, service, scholarship, and solidarity. Uh, service is to use knowledge and skills to assist others. Uh, that students learn that it feels good to help other people. And once they realize that, I think it opens up the door for other things. Scholarship, that to be curious uh, and explore their curiosity is what produces knowledge. Uh, I think a lot of people are curious at a young age and then through some of the systems that are, that are set up in school, for example, uh, extrinsic motivators like grades and pizza parties and whatever, is that eventually it's like there's a prize out there that I'm trying to attain. But I think when there's curiosity and it's like, I really just want to know why that happens. It's when people have that, that that's what leads to genuine knowledge. And then the last one, solidarity, is to work with others to achieve a common goal, like teamwork. That working with others is imperative to survive. And the better you are at working with others, the better you are better off you are, I suppose. So service solidarity to solidarity and scholarship. And I asked my students the question, uh, what knowledge is of the most worth? Um, and uh, I didn't make it extra credit, I didn't make it, I just said if you want to answer that question, that'll be our guiding question of the week. And uh, I ended up getting lots of responses, but the five that really stuck with me, I, I typed up their full responses, but just their course titles say a lot about what they, no one said uh, math reading or economics or anything like that. <laughs> the course titles were, um, which offended me, they should have said creative writing. Uh, but they said uh, happiness and forgiveness. That's what Lincoln said. Love, another girl said, uh, was a sophomore. Truth, and then true life. Another girl said life skills. Um, so the things that they were thinking, and they were all like that. I mean, there were a lot of kids who said truth. Um, and this girl said, my class would be called truth. That Understanding the truth is the knowledge that's the, of the most worth. Uh, it's a class that teaches students about life without sugarcoating facts and making people um, see things better than they really are. Another girl said, true life. Uh, my course would teach kids lessons about life itself, such as using street smarts and applying logic into everyday life. There would also be guest speakers who would use logic. Even gangsters and people from the streets would show us uh, what people do and what people should not do. Uh, love, students said, uh, 
Once, once people learn the knowledge of love, caring, kind attitudes, they spread onto others and attitudes are contagious. If someone smiles, another person is bound to smile back. If people learn about love and have a happy heart with no evil, people's lives would be healthy and successful. And the last person said, happy and forgiveness. Uh, the most important thing that people should know is that, there's a, that the quest for knowledge is never ending. It's by a senior boy. I was really struggling in my class when I saw this. I felt horrible. The most important thing to know is that the quest for knowledge is never ending. I would have a class called Art, Happiness, and Forgiveness. People would learn the problems of violence and revenge and how neither will make you feel truly fulfilled, thus making school a more tolerable and happy place. Uh, these are sophomores and seniors. Some
stifled, but now in the end, it's like I do want to pursue things because I'm interested in it or I want to know more about it. So that's why would I still be here? <laughs> okay, very good. So next, it's um, Linda and then Jennifer. Okay, as I heard you talk, I, I just heard so much about social emotional, really connecting to that. And so in our current school system, we ignore that. Uh, we, you know, we're just now beginning to realize the, the, the strong tie-in. But what I really wanted to comment on was that Tony, um, I was involved with the uh, Chamber of Commerce for a while. And in talking to uh, business people from industrial to retail, we would have discussions, what is it that you want in your employees? And it, again, it was not the math. And, <laughs> and, and even the individual um, trade, like, you know, I remember talking to a printer. Oh, I can teach them that. Mm -hmm. But what I can't teach them is how to get along with people. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want. That's what they need when they hire people. And it didn't matter what business it was. Mm -hmm. Banking, uh, the funeral director. <laughs> it's, it's how to get along with people and how to, and how to solve their own problems. That was a big issue. Okay, next, Jennifer. I think I'm the cynical one of the group. First, when you mentioned the three S's, I thought that was great. We should stop now. That's all we need to know. But then when you started with the titles of the classes that the students suggested, I, I assume that there's going to be some physics and all that along with it, because if it were just those classes, the United States is going to fall far behind some other countries. And I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm more Republican. because it is 
you know, it's it's for you. It's intimate. It's your intimacy. So I I listened to you and I and I thought, oh yeah, you know what? If I would have been, you know, it's it's where you are at your at your place and time. You know, and why do you go to class? You know what? I mean, no offense, Beth, but you know what? <laughs> I'm not. My husband makes a good living. You know what? I don't have to. I'm not here for the grade. It means a lot to me because it says something about myself as a learner. But you know what? I don't really care. So, just different places at different times. Okay, now we'll progress to Tony and to the other. No, I'm just curious. You were really serious about Apple. Because when I, I think about that, and think about, I hate the standardized test. It rocks me to the core. I hate it when my kids took it. I hate it when these kids take it. It's useless to me. It's useless information. And the main reason is because you're trying to do apples and oranges. You've got kids like in our district. We don't know how many. I don't know how. I don't, I personally, I don't know how many different nationalities we have. But it's yeah. You know. But you can't compare them. You can't compare us with any other nation because we're different. We're different because we're a melting pot. And you've got. Uh, Jimmy over here who doesn't know anything, may have a, se a second language at home, doesn't know anything about farming because he lived in the city or, you know, and so we, you can't compare us with anybody else because we're not like anybody else. We're not like China, we're not like England, we're not like Russia because we're not. And you can't compare us, I mean, with, you know, with the thing, and that just drives me nuts, it just irritates me. But one other thing is I wanted to talk about, uh, I was the same way, I went back as an adult. And when I sat in my first class, I was like, oh my God. I was in my 30s when I went back, and I was like, and all the kids, there were, there were a few of us that were my age, but everybody else was about 18, or I mean, uh, early 20, you know, 20, uh, sorry, uh, 19, 20s. And so I didn't say anything for a long time. I sat back and I listened for a long time, and I would think to myself, you know what? Your opinion's gonna change. <laughs> Later on down the line, it's gonna change. I mean, it was just like, how did you have that opinion? I mean, this is when, I, when we were in class. And I went straight, straight from my uh, undergrad, I waited a year and went in to get my master's. And I was like, you, I hated school. Hated high school, hated high school. Didn't really care for college elementary, but I knew it was something I had to do. <laughs> when I went to my master's, it was more of what I wanted to do, because I said, this is more of what I wanted to do. I'm not here as much for, it, it, it's gonna help me go to where I want to do next, but it's my choice, it's not something I have to do. And it's, it's a lot more enjoyable. Because I go home and I'm like, I enjoyed that. Whereas undergrad, it was a chore. I had to get this done, I had to get this done, I had to get that done. It was just different, and I and I enjoy it more now, much more. And I enjoy our class. I've talked to my husband because he's finished he's finished his doctorate now, and he was like, bing, bang, boom. He, he took him three years to finish his. So it's for me, it's a joy. And I, I'm with you. I really enjoy it. Are you all right? <laughs> but anyway, so those are my two. Okay, so we gotta we're gonna keep going around, then we'll get back to. So Mina's next. Yeah, just following the they mentioned about curiosity. Actually, at first time when I start to do the this uh, this question, what knowledge is of most the words? I was thinking about the Vinci, how to pronounce Yeah, how to develop your right brain. And first thing he mentioned about the curiosity. When you have a curiosity, you will have a motivation to know the world around you. And you will develop better observation when you have a 
you have curiosity about work, then you have motivation to develop your observation, then you can become very good artist because you observe every detail thing around you. Then you could be, become a very good scientist because you think you question everything happened around you. So I think that actually uh, originally at first I want to uh, mention about like, curiosity actually is uh, my list of uh, most worst knowledge and I, I finally I give up because I pick up others, other items but now I just I think curiosity is kind of very basic thing that helps human being to have the motivation to know the world. Then yeah. that's why the Vince becomes so smart. He, he can be a very good biologist, good artist. His drawing is very great. And he's also very good gardener. He can plant a very good, how he can cook very good food, a very good cook. That's curious about a different test. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to remind me about the knowledge. Very good, so now Carol's next. Okay, um, I'm with Jennifer a bit. I, I agree that businesses want people who can get along with other people but they also want people who can do the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And um, so we can't forget that either. And, um, you know, my husband is in the position of interviewing engineers. They better have had their physics class. They, you know, they better have those basics as well as getting along with people. So both things are very important. Okay. Right now you're probably yeah. getting your response. Yeah. Um, I just the, the key part for me for the question is most worth. So it's like you're claiming this is the most important, like the top. And uh, by no means is physics not important, and physics is extremely important, uh, especially if you're applying to be an engineer. And uh, I think my students would agree too, but they're saying the most important to them would be and, and I'm, I'm not, I can't justify the response too much, these are their response. I can justify mine, service scholarship and solidarity. Uh, mostly great, but the happiness, the love, the truth, the life skills, these kids, that's, I think they're saying, that's to me, number one, numero uno, most important, more than math, more than your reading class, Mr. Lawrence, more than writing, this, the top for me, and that's the kid's personality, is love. People can figure that out, the rest of them maybe fall into place, or if they can figure out, and, and I think when we, I think the key to their responses, and, and this is hypothesizing, key for them is that they, they have a sense that we don't have because we're thinking well how would that fit in because we have you know no we have to you know have this test or what well, what do you mean you wouldn't have any bells and what do you mean you wouldn't have the kids and when they start when you start saying well how would your school go I mean they're like they just go loose well we wouldn't have rules we wouldn't have grades we wouldn't and I'm like we wouldn't have grades well how are you going to get to college and how are we going to know who's, who's the top in the class and, I, and I'm like that can't work and they're like no no grades no bells different class lengths, different class sizes, different courses offered, change the way schools are funded. I mean, they just, you, know, you can't do that, you know. <laughs> they're, they're like, sure, go ahead. I mean, you're saying we could do anything, Mr. Lawrence. If we could have any school we wanted, and that's the way I pose the question, if you could have anything you wanted, the knowledge that you think is the most important. And I could see where somebody could argue physics. The closest, the only core class that we offered that was mentioned was one kid did mention, uh, maybe it was one or two kids said physical education. 
And they did the same thing where they were comparing us to other countries. Because they were like, well, physics, well, how do we match up with other countries? How do we? And that one didn't scare them. Because they're like, well, so what? We're number, you know, if we were number four in physics, well, we'd be fine. Or if we're number, but the physical education one, and part of that's because what we've been studying in class, that you know, we're five years behind. You know, our five years average lifespan, our average lifespan would be 76, I think. And we have a lot of other countries that are 81, or our birth, our birth rates, you know, where they're at. So they were like, well, you know, so they were like, health was a big thing for them. And health isn't because we don't have great diet, health is because of the way we take care of our bodies. And so their big thing was like physical education. That would be the one class that they would keep intact. They would change it for physical education. And that's another one. Common sense was one that was mentioned. Here's one that's a little, this would be a little more skeptical, I suppose, but it's, it's good. I like the way the two wrote it. They were very confident. Uh, life skills is most important. I would have a class called life skills. It would be good because some people are seriously stupid and have no common sense. <laughs> That's what two girls said. And they wrote theirs together, and so they didn't get in trouble. They put both their hands <laughs> And so I thought that was like a common sense course. That was also mentioned. Um, but there, I, seriously, physics was definitely not mentioned. I had 140 students. Everyone could mention that. Math was not mentioned. And I think, obviously, they're important. But I think they're thinking most worth. Um, I think we got to see the question. So we have two. Okay, so just to let you know, here's what I have. I have Jennifer, uh, then I have Jane, Tracy, and uh, Sandy. You wanted to say something too, right? Did I miss anyone? Okay, so let's go to Jennifer now. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that I, I didn't mean uh, falling behind with test scores. I more I meant while we're all loving each other and honest and common sense, that other countries are going to be traveling to other planets and discovering cures for diseases while we're learning to get along with each other. I, I haven't seen the documentary Why We Fight, but I've heard people talking about it that mentioned that the Roman Empire was once the power of the world, and now the United States is, but we don't necessarily have to be in that position forever. Somebody else could take over, and I'm worried that if we don't continue with all this knowledge that we're going to fall behind. Okay, now we have Jason. Okay. <laughs> I was uh, when you were talking, um, Carol, about the engineer. We have a good friend who is an engineer for Boeing, but he should he needs to take one of those classes. <laughs> he needs to take the happiness and forgiveness class. <laughs> he is an extremely smart man. Got first job was for Boeing, but he's not a happy person, and he made me unhappy by his lack of oh, people skills on some of the things that he said the last time I talked to him and he needs that class and then I think he'll truly be a well-rounded <coughs> But just being an engineer, he is not. I, I wish he could take a happiness and forgiveness class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and next, Tracy. Well, I think that what you were saying, Craig, about your classes and, and then to get it back to engineering just goes back to some of what I was thinking is if kids don't feel secure or people don't feel secure and happy in who they are and have some of those basic needs met, it doesn't make any difference what's going on in the world. Their life is going to just be bad. But if, you're, if you feel like you're a valuable person and you're respected, then because life is integrated, you're, let's say you're really good at math, well, you're going to find that curious. And then one thing will lead to the next, and pretty soon you've got an engineering degree. And I don't think that we would fall back behind at all. I think, in fact, we would be a happier community. And I think the physical education thing is a really interesting twist to 
what they thought was important. But uh, when people are doing using their gifts and, and being encouraged to use them instead of being stifled in, in a system that dictates to them what should be relevant to them and isn't, I, I just think it would make for a better world. And we've got so many terrific resources in this country, and our democratic system provides that openness for it. I, I just see it being really affirming and, and positive. I think we could go leaps and bounds. Um, the Romans were unhappy people, and they got greedy, and, and they didn't defend their borders very well. And history will repeat itself. And, and uh, so there is something to be said for looking back on those times. OK, so we have Sandy, you're next. Um, I just wanted to comment on that also. Um, I found very similar results. What you're saying is completely what I'm thinking as well. And that I think that we really need to look at what the kids think and what is their opinion and what they value. And I think that the question was very important, what knowledge is of most work? Not saying that you don't need your reading and your writing and things like that, but what do you think is the most successful thing that you need to have? And I look within my own family, none of who are educated, none of who have jobs that need an education for, and all of who are successful. And what did they need to know to be successful? And it was interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. And those kind of things, getting along with others in a job, in a workforce, and um, you know, none of them are really good readers or writers or great mathematicians, but they all have great jobs, they all make decent money, and they're very happy in their life. So I think you can't force those kinds of um, subjects and content areas on people who are interested in them, but skills like interpersonal skills travel across all content areas, and I think that's I'm thinking about your comment, being worried about falling behind you know, technologically. And for me, it kind of just boils down to what I've realized in my personal experience. I push myself and push myself to try to keep up on my classes and do all sorts of things so I would be like a good teacher. And I mean, I was at school yesterday from 7.45 until 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, <laughs> okay, just and in the end, it, it's really not worth it if I can't go home and be happy and enjoy that. So I guess I kind of question whether or not it's, maybe it's okay to let another country become more technologically advanced if there's other concerns you know, that need to be dealt with first. Okay, Kim, and then I have Boone, um, and then Shake it up a little bit here. <laughs> I think what I think maybe perhaps we're kind of assuming a little bit here. We're assuming that every single person has the personality potential to maybe be in a group and be happy with one another. Where we might have a personality of a person who wants to spend some time alone reading a book, but if we've spent all of our time make, trying to make everyone what we think is happy, like really what is happiness. And it could be a, a, a different things for a lot of different people. So as I'm sitting here agreeing with everything that's being said, because trust me, I mean, as a mother, I want my daughter to be happy. I want her to know happiness. I, but at the same time, I want her to read. 
And, <laughs> I mean, and they're very important to me. And I feel like, can't these things be taught in, in tandem? Um, if we're saying what's of most worth, I don't know if we can say happiness is, um, that one or the other would be more, would be greater than putting them together. Like, I don't think they're as strong separate as they would be together. Does that make sense a little bit? I have a young girl who started with our school yesterday. Um, Dad has, is really abusive, so Mom and this girl are living in a shelter, in a battered women's shelter. And my job is the reading specialist to teach this girl how to read. First grade doesn't, can't recognize letters. But yesterday, her first day there, we read a book, albeit the easiest book you'll ever see. And I taught her some skills for reading. At the same time, when she left, she gave me a hug that lasted forever. And there was the sense of caring, that sense of community. There was a sense that she knows I really care about her. And at the same time, I gave her a little bit of a tool to help her feel good about herself so she can go ahead and tackle and find some more, some more knowledge. So I kind of feel like maybe we don't need to separate them. Maybe it's, it's, it's putting it together and finding the right combination for these kids because I, I would love to hug her all day long and make her feel safe. But at the same time, I also want to teach that girl to read. I want her to be able to go pick up a book and learn something that interests her because I'm a teacher who's there for an X amount of hours a day and there's no way that I can cover everything, every topic that every child is even remotely interested in. I couldn't possibly do that. But what could I do? I could give them the tool to go ahead and, and find and search those things out on their own all about letting them know that I really care about them and love them and have that community. So I don't know if we have to separate them. Just one for thought. Well, not sort of like ricochets back to what you said, you said, you said, well, <laughs> it comes down to balance, I think. And I, what I was listening to about happiness and, and also achievement is that there's an old saying in, in European, because I study French, and um, so when I lived there, it was like Americans um, live to work while Europeans work to live. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's not true for every person. It's it's like the over um, statement of the umbrella saying like all of America is like this, all of Europe is like this. But then I also have my Asian side too, where um, you know, I have my Asian background where I know that Asia is not like that either. It just depends on what your family's like, where you come from, whether it's a city or the country, and, and that balance that we need, you know, the, the nurturing plus the academics, you know, and the happiness that comes from it, is it's so dependent on our family as well as our society. And um, one of the things that I just remember remembering, my cousins in Korea right now are all trying to get to university. And um, um, there's a huge age gap between my, my aunt and my mom. And so my, my aunt's daughter is closer in age with my mom than, than they are. And because my aunt got married when she was 17. So my cousins are closer in age than me. So like one of my cousins is uh, like in high school right now. And she's going for academic purposes, starts school at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, and then after school, comes home, eat dinner, go back, study until like midnight, and then comes home to sleep for four hours and starts to cycle all over again. I mean, 
for them, happiness is to get into university. Because without university, there's nothing. Their life is meaningless. And then you think about us, we're like, we have so many chances to get into universities. I mean, it's just like the land of opportunity. And the, and the same goes on, because if you can't make it over there, they try to get over here and try to make it, you know? So it's like, we really are very blessed. And as many times as people are complaining about what's going on in the world right now, what's going on in our country right now, they just take everything for such granted that we have like the circle that's going on right now where we are debating what's best for our family, what's best for the children, what's best for, and it's just like other places are being dictated what's going on. And so Europe is something else too. You have two tracks. You either go into the vocational track or you go to the academic track, and if you go to the academic track and you fail, you're out of it for good. There are no second chances. And so one of my girlfriend's boyfriend in uh, France, he wouldn't study. He just wanted to have fun. You know, and so, and she's studying, trying to keep up because there's like two tiers of university levels and he couldn't keep up. So he was dropped and she just dropped him like a hot potato because he wasn't studying. So it's like the mentality is so different depending on what your life skills are. So I just have to say that we do need that caring and nurturing and, and but you're right, we need that academics as well because um, we want to be happy but we also need to be successful, especially in the society, because let me tell you something, without language skills, it's, it's opportunity just nil in this country. You have manual labor, yes, but you still need to communicate with the person that you're gonna be working with. Good, and now, Carol. I can still remember, because <laughs> I'm so interested in what you are saying. It's so good. Um, What is love brings me to, you know, a religious answer. So, is it because our religious communities and our families have failed that the school has to put this in? I mean, I've already said teaching is emotional as well as intellectual. So, I, I think I just want to leave it there with a question, and I don't you know, I think we need to answer it, but that's just a question I'd like to throw up. Okay, any more responses? I would, I would say it's always taken a village to raise our children, and where our grandmothers and our aunts and our uncles and our cousins used to live next door, they don't anymore.